everybody. This is the Stronghold Podcast, and I'm here with Jiu-Jitsu Black Belt head coach at uh, Gracie Baja, Singapore, Bruno Amarim. What's up, man? Not much, man, especially now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, not much now. Just hanging out and trying to get by. How are you, you holding up, dude? No rolling for... How long has it been <sighs> since, you know, you get the house rolls, you get the, the wife rolls and stuff like that, but... Yeah, we, we actually closed the gym before the circuit breaker was announced, so we've been closed since March 27th, so it's been a while. Yeah, we're, you know, how, is this the longest break you've taken, and how long from rolling regular training? Uh, actually, I had a longer break, break before, I had a bad, not bad, but I had a, a bike accident in Brazil, a motorbike, and I had to do like two knee surgeries, oh, nine damn. screws. So yeah, that one was a long road. So it was about seven months with, without real training and then a whole year without competing. How long, was, how long were you a black belt already when you had the injury? Yes, oh. I had just got my black belt. Oh, and yeah, right, right when you're ready to go into the Correct. tournament scene. Yeah. Oh, that's rough, yes. man. I had like one year as a black belt and then that happened. So. So yeah, this is uh, this is tough. Hey, all the gyms are struggling, ready to get out of phase two into phase three. Get some contact sports going around. I see this this uh, petition circulating online that you guys have been sharing, yeah, trying yeah, yeah. to bring back the contact sports. Yeah, I mean, we there's nothing negative we can say about the the, the Singapore government at handling the situation because I mean they did a fantastic job. They supported a lot of businesses, uh, but we just would like to see. Uh, the country is trying to slowly and safely reopen, and that's great. But we'd like to see a little bit of that on our industry as well. Because ever since we were allowed to reopen on June 19th, the weddings got upgraded, the number of people, funerals, movie theaters reopened. But there has been no loosening for contact sports. Yeah. Like we're still with the same set of rules that we had, what, three months ago. So, like, it would be nice to see a little change on that. That's all we're trying to achieve. Yeah, and it would be really nice if at least we had some kind of time frame. Exactly, right? yeah. That's, that's the worst thing. Because a projection, it, right? Yeah. Yeah, because, uh, you know, if they were like, okay, it's going to be October, it's going to be November, then you can kind of at least start to plan. Yeah, because... Start to figure I mean, out... And Singapore has, a very, Singapore has a very strong business culture, right? And every reasonable business needs to be able to forecast... And right now, what can we forecast? Yeah. We don't know what's going to look tomorrow or two months from now. Even the circuit breaker, right? They announced the, the end of the circuit breaker, and it was like one week, week and a half or something. Yeah. Do you remember that shit? Everybody yeah, yeah. was like going mad trying to like, I don't know what it was like for you, but once they announced the end of the circuit breaker, we spent like six hours going through all of the different rules, regulations, restrictions. What are we allowed to do? What are we not allowed to do? We sent back and forth, back and forth, back and forth messages yeah. to everybody trying to figure this shit out. Yeah, for, for us it was the same because we first got the, the end of circuit breaker, right? So we got the MOH guidelines and it was like groups of five, a meter apart. If social distancing is not possible amongst people, then they have to be a, a meter apart from each other, the, the groups of five. I was like, okay, great. So we had the whole uh, thing scheduled. Like we had the schedule ready. We have the whole thing set oh, up. Hey, <laughs> Zozo with the sneak attack. What's up? I said, Zozo, I said we should just have you come on and do like 15 minutes of stand-up on the podcast. <laughs> all right, we'll see you, bro. That's okay. Crash the podcast, bro. It's all good. Yeah, all good. So, yeah, so like we got the MOH guidelines. So I was like, okay, that's great. We can work with this. Five people is a little limiting, but 
it's all good. And then we learned that, no, 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 we need to wait for the guidelines from Sports SG. And then when those guidelines, they came back, I think, like, Wednesday evening. Yeah. And, and then we opened up on Friday, Friday. right? Yeah. yeah, I was like, oh, smack. Now we have to redo everything we had yeah. done. And, I mean, at that point, all I wanted was, like, okay, at least we can open, we can see people again, we can get out of this weird situation, right? Yeah. And socialize again. But to be to be honest, I I thought that the the, the loosening up of the the measures would would happen a little faster. Like yeah. once we've been what six one community case, like single digit community yeah. case for for a few weeks now. Yeah, less than ten. Yeah, so I, I I expect that once we hit that, we would see a little bit of a loosening up on our end, because to be honest. To, to be the way it is, I'd rather that we, we, we're still on circuit breaker because yeah. then you're not allowed to open, right? So then you'd have a little backup from the government in terms of rental subsidies and yeah. local workforce subsidies. Subsidies, But, I mean, we'll see. Hopefully yeah. we, we can. We're meeting with the, the, the Sports SG chairman on Wednesday, so maybe we'll see. I mean, we have a safe plan to reopen, a few suggestions to make, and maybe you yield something positive. Well, we've, you know, I've, I do think that there are some positive steps that you can see pretty recently. Like, they opened up travel between, you see that, between New Zealand and, yep. and Brunei coming here. So they're opening up tourism in limited areas. I heard some rumors, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but whatever, no one knows who told me. I heard, I heard <laughs> some rumors that, that one, one championship is planning on doing, they're planning activities for October. Now, of course, in phase two, they're not allowed to do any big sporting events like that. So yeah. if they're kind of looking at maybe doing that, maybe they've heard some hint. Yeah, it's just possible. possible. October or something like that. That would be nice. So there, it does seem like the worst is behind us. Yep. The time frame is just the question now, but it seems like things are finally starting to improve. They've got all the foreign dormitories tested. That was the mm -hmm. big one. So that, that happened like two weeks ago yep. where they finally finished testing all the people in the foreign, foreign dormitories, yes. which is where most of the cases came from. Yeah. So once all of those people were tested, now we're having single-digit cases yep. every day. I think it, the worst is behind us. Yeah, I mean, again, there's nothing negative that we can say about how the Singapore government has been handling this, especially, I guess, you and me, right? Because, mm -hmm. I mean... Your country's number one, my country's number two. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so like, who are we to be talking about it? How but, is the response in Brazil? I mean, you, I assume you're in contact with a lot of instructors there. What's the situation like there? Uh, it varies because they, they, they did very much like in the U.S. now. They took away the, the, the federal government's power. So it's very, a, a local, it's very much a local decision, local government decision. So some people wearing masks, some people were distancing, yeah. some aren't. Yeah, so like my city, uh, Where are you from? Belo Horizonte. It's in southwest, so it's not southwest, southeast. So it's about south of Rio, about four hours drive. Mm. Um, they were, last time I checked anyways, they were like full on lockdown. Like even buses from other cities could not enter the city. Oh, they wow. were like sh shut down tight. But I, I don't know if they still Academies were closed and everything? Yeah. Mm. And like my state had 300 and something deaths. And it's about 26 million people in the state. Oh wow! So it wasn't. The, it's not the highest mm. uh, number of deaths in, in, in my state. So they, they kind of got a handle of it, but this this virus is is so bizarre. Like my aunt, her husband got it, mm. and she didn't. And in Brazil, the system is so efficient 
that he got it, he got sick, he went to the doctor, the doctor said, ah, that's nothing, go home. You're okay. And, <laughs> <Just> then, <laughs> and then he continued to, to cough and all that, so he went back to a different doctor, and the doctor go, oh, yeah, you have a sinus infection, and gave him some antibiotics, and said, okay, you go home. So he goes home again, doesn't improve, goes back in again, mm. and finally they tested him. And then by the time they tested him, yes, he was positive, but the viral load was so low that he was no longer contagious. Mm. And then my aunt said, my aunt had a cough as well, she goes, I better go, go get tested. And she got tested and she tested negative. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, my sister got it. Yeah. My sister in the US, she said she thought it was the same thing, she thought it was a sinus infection. Yeah. She said she lost her sense of smell, she lost her sense of taste, and it just felt like, uh, she said she thought she had like a, a kind of relatively severe, I mean, not, not really bad, but like a, an allergy mm -hmm. flare-up. Yeah. That's what she thought it was. So yeah, this, it's, it's super bizarre, right? Some people seem to get it, and it's really quite bad, and most people seem to be fine with it. You know, are they, uh, are they getting any support, any of the businesses and academies in, nope. in Brazil? They just have to figure it out, Zero, right? Yeah. That's why you really can't Suck say shit about Singapore. <laughs> exactly. Right? I mean, dude. <laughs> The fact, I, I tell my, uh, even my friends in the U.S., right, that we got four months of, of rent covered, and they're just like, what? Yeah. So we got four, I mean, it really seems like the struggle is right now, because we got four months, and that ended in July, right? Yes. So we basically are going to have to go from August until phase three. So hopefully it's like maybe one more month, maybe two more months, whatever the number is. Yeah. That's going to be the struggle, getting from... The yeah. end of the government subsidies until we can actually get into phase three and rolling again. Yeah, but I, I, I think you, you said it well. Like, we need to have something to look forward, right? Like, what are the, the... I know it's a new disease and nobody really knows what to do and how to act. But in terms of managing the situation, like, what are we looking for? Are we looking for below five community cases for let's say three weeks in a row are we looking to zero community cases for a certain number of days mm. and then we might see some loosening up of this because we see there are a lot of places that they, they, they are doing contact sports and i have not heard of a major cluster or a bunch of people that got infected in the gym i don't think it's happened to any gyms like thailand has been open since july 1st yeah malaysia opened on july 15th and I have not heard of a single case inside a gym. So I, I don't really know what are we looking for that would be helpful to know, you know? Yeah, especially when you like, you go to the malls and yes. you're in the food court and you see all these people and you're just like, damn man, we can't have five people roll. Like, because I, I made a joke about it the other day. When you get sick, you still have to go eat. This is why most of the yes. most of the things happen at food courts, at malls, when people are going out to eat and stuff. Because yeah. even if you're sick, you got to go eat. If you're sick, you got anything. You're not coming into the gym to train. Exactly. If you're smart. Exactly. If you're smart, yeah, right? Yeah. So that's why most of those infections are going to occur where people have to go, even if they are sick, right? But not no one's going to go roll when. Yeah, they like I, I joke with my students all the time. Like you can go to a fast food restaurant. You name it. I mean, I'm not gonna put any any brand on blast but you know those <laughs> do out it, there. bro it's fine you can shame mcdonald's go for <laughs> it all right let's do that <laughs> so basically yeah you can go into a mcdonald's you and four friends and sit very close to each other no mask ingesting poison but then you cannot practice a sport which keeps you healthy mentally and physically it's it's a bit strange to me like what, what I, I can't really see the reason on that like it's not, it's, we're not talking about leper here, you know, like yeah. touching skin to skin is not going to give you the virus. It's not going to mm -hmm. increase your chance of getting the virus. So 
I, I, I mean, I don't understand. Yeah, just just some sort of guidelines and knowing like when it's going to happen. I, I'm I'm optimistic, man. I think the worst part of it is behind us. We just got to keep keep struggling through this. But the and the best thing about getting clear guidelines is like, you know, when all these BJJ people can see, like, let, let's say hypothetically they say, okay, October first or whatever, right? Yeah. Whatever date, October first, we're going to allow. Uh, contact contact sports again limit five people whatever the number is mm -hmm. people will start coming into the gym a little bit early yep right so you'll get a pop you get a pop of people exactly. signing up okay maybe we come in we solo drill for a couple weeks just to get ready to get back into the flow like when you can see the end of the end point and you can see that okay things are going to start to get back to normal that it will increase the general interest in some of these businesses these gyms that are struggling will get the pop they need to maybe Definitely. last them for the next month or however long Absolutely. that you know we're going to be struggling yeah that was the, the main thing the main thing that made me like kind of like get together with uh prof pedro from maverick was like the first couple of months people i mean i'm very fortunate i have a fantastic group of members at my gym they are very like supportive you know even the ones that are not really into doing uh heat classes and we have yoga they're not very into all that they're still coming every now and then they're still supporting but then one month goes by, two months go by. Yeah. Then you start saying, hey, can I freeze my membership? And we had a few people actually canceling the memberships. Mm -hmm. And then that is a sign for concern, you know? Yeah. And the most important part is you can't take in new members because you're not really offering anything. What Any you service. offer. Yeah, yeah like, no I service. mean, somebody comes in and they join based on the classes that I'm offering now. Once phase three or they allow us, even if, if it's within phase two, they allow us to go back to contact, full contact. Mm -hmm. The class that I'm doing now, I'm most likely not what I'm, go I'm going, going to be offering then. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to go back to full BJJ. Hell and then yeah. If somebody <laughs> signed up to do hit classes and then all of a sudden we're back to full BJJ, how do, how do you manage that situation, that transition? It's a bit... A bit tough, you know. Yeah. But yeah, like you said, I I do believe that the worst is behind us, and now it's just be hopeful that we see some some loosening of this our social distancing measures in contact sports coming up. Yeah, but I mean, really, the especially the BJJ specific gyms, they they really are the ones that are struggling, right? Cause exactly. For, for us, we have Muay Thai and we have MMA and we have boxing, so like. It's kind of been nice because, you know, our gym was mostly BJJ people. I'd say 60 to 70% were like BJJ only. And then, uh, you know, during this time, because people want to train, they just want something yep. to do. So we've had a nice little pickup in some of the, the striking disciplines and stuff. But it's, it's bizarre because I have maybe 10 new students that have signed up here. Mm -hmm. They just think I'm like a boxing coach. <laughs> they don't even <laughs> That's know. Crazy. They've never done a jiu-jitsu class with me. They don't know. They just come in and we only hit the pads and all that kind of stuff because we had to make the decision like, okay, are we going to add a, a, like a BJJ class now during like a solo drilling thing? And I'm just like, man, I don't think, I don't, I think more people would rather do like MMA. We do the pad work. I tap the knee. They sprawl because you're allowed to do pad work. Yeah, yeah. Right. That's one of the few things that you're actually allowed to do. So striking classes, but you're not allowed to do sparring, right? Yes, which yes. to me makes very little sense. Because it's the as same. A for, not really the same as I mean, you fought MMA, I mm -hmm. fought MMA. What are the, the chances that you're going to continue to walk forward? Is it in a sparring session or is it in a pad work session? Yes. Sparring, you kind of want to touch yeah. and get the hell out of there. Yeah, you can't hang pad out. Pad work, you're just going forward, forward, yeah. forward. And every time you hit that pad, the fucking sweat is exactly. just like blasting So I was like, room. okay, I get the clinch. It makes yeah. sense. Yeah, no, no clinch clinching. work. 
But sparring, I believe that people should, if you're going to allow pad work, you should allow sparring. Yeah. Because the social distancing on a, on a sparring session, it's bigger than it is in a, in a pad yeah, work I agree session. with you completely. Because it's just forward motion, yeah. right? You're not getting hit, so we have nothing to fear. Yeah. I think that, uh, but thank, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that they do at least allow the pad work. Oh, yeah. Because then we get some semblance of like normal classes. Yep. So then for our MMA classes, you know, we do the pad work. I touch your knee, you sprawl, I give you a push, you break fall. I try to shuffle step, keep your feet on the hips, just technical stand up. Just little, yeah. tiny little sprinkles of some, the little tiny bit of BJJ we can actually do. Right? Yeah, exactly. Just to get a taste. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> really, like anything is better than nothing. Yeah. Like I was, talking, I was joking to my students the other day. I said, oh, they've been rolling in Korea. They have to wear a mask while they roll, and everybody was like, what? They're wearing masks when they roll? Yeah, yeah. Really? <laughs> I didn't so, know that. Yeah, they can roll, but they need to wear a mask, which what? is kind of crazy. I choke you with that shit, dude. Yeah, no, <laughs> after a while, you basically sweatboarding yourself, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the mask is getting soaked, you're breathing, you sweat. Just but anyways, choke. You're waterboarding yeah. yourself on the... <laughs> and then everybody was like, yeah, yeah, that's crazy. And I was like, yeah, that's crazy. But let's say if the government yeah. told you tomorrow, but you can on. roll, yeah. but you need to wear a mask. Sign would you up. say no thank you? And they're like, no, 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 I'll roll with Absolutely the mask. Absolutely. I'll roll with the mask. We're like, we're all junkies like needing a fix. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah what, exactly. That's what we exactly. are at this, at this point. BJJ's our drug, man. We need it. We yep. need a fix bad. Yep. And it, go ahead. I, I again dreamt I was doing BJJ last night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I'm not, every other night I'm like, oh yeah, I'm doing BJJ in my dreams. It's crazy. Like, yeah, he, he said several times already that he's had BJJ dreams, and I'm like, I feel you, man. Yep. I feel you <laughs> I for sure. definitely hear that. He's come in and started doing, like, the the boxing classes and stuff, but he's like, yeah, but it's just not the same. And I'm like, I know, man. This is Yeah, this is the longest break I've taken since college. Yeah, I, I think, like, rolling. for, for, for a, a person who already likes BJJ to then pick up striking, it's, it's, the, fun it's the fun component of it. Like... How long does it take for you to actually learn enough striking that you actually have fun doing yeah. a sparring session? A freaking long time. Yeah. It's not that easy, you know? Getting you, punched. Getting punched in the face. And then it takes you a while to get used to that and then actually enjoy a sparring session. BJJ, I don't care who you are, man. The first day you go to the gym, I, I, I actually do a survey with people that do trial and I ask them what was the favorite part of the class because I'll get them to do a little bit of something. Yeah. On the first day. Yeah, me too. Specific training, whatever it is, mm -hmm. they're going to actually experience the full thing. So they know what the actual yeah. experience is, right? Yes. And then every single time, what's your first favorite part of the class? Oh, the part of fighting. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. it's fun from day one. It's yeah. fun from, from the beginning. So it's a little different from striking. Like, it mm -hmm. takes you a while to actually acquire the skills and understand striking well enough to actually enjoy and have fun doing it yeah that's why i can't get any of my blue belts and purple belts to drill because they just want to spar all the time i'm like yes. guys you have to drill yeah you have to drill it's important they're like oh we just want they wanted the fun part right i gave up i gave up on <laughs> you gave up. just just roll like, all the time i told them i said you know what you guys are <laughs> you guys are like you know when you're a kid and your mom said hey don't don't jump on the couch you're gonna fall <laughs> and then you're like oh mom's so naggy and then you go and you jump and you fall and you break your arm that's what you guys are. We tell, <laughs> we tell you guys, you need to drill. You, got, you just went from white to blue. A white belt, you're wrecking everybody. Blue belt, now it's different, my friend. You're going to get people that are on the way out of a blue belt in a competition. Yep. You need to slow things down. And they just probably think, ah, professor, just want to spar. And then they got to go to a competition, get wrecked. 
No, and I, then they're like, oh, I need to drill. yeah, that guy actually knows a thing or two about <laughs> what he's talking about. It's, it's, a funny, it's a funny thing. And it's an endless cycle, right? You always see that. Every yeah. time you get the white belt up to blue, and then as soon as they, they're wrecking people in competition, and then they get the blue belt, then boom, they're yeah. right back down the ladder, and then they go up, and then they get the purple, and then boom, right and, back and down. And it's not, it's not for everyone that that, that that feeling that you have when you get a new belt, or even if, for me, I've been a black belt for 11 years now. Like, you roll with certain, certain black belts, and you're like, oh my God, like, there's always somebody out there oh, yeah. better than you. I don't yeah. care who you are. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. coming from Brazil, I can tell you that, like, there is always going to be somebody out there. There's so many people in Brazil that are so good, and they'll never be seen. Mm -hmm. They can't get a visa, they don't have enough money. But you can see that the guy is good. So there's always going to be, I'm sure there's people everywhere that are like extremely good at it. They just never get a chance to kind of display that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, so, there's level. Like you're a black belt, black belt. I'm like a white belt, black belt. <laughs> I mean, that's what it is, right? You've been a black belt long enough to get another black belt. Yeah. I've, I've been a black belt for like six months. There's just no way it's the same. Like, yeah. <laughs> there's just no way. You, yeah. you, even at black belt, you go through that process, right? Where you're like, okay. You're, I mean, a new black belt is basically like a higher level brown belt, and then you'll have some brown belts that can beat some black belts, and the belt doesn't fucking matter, right? I mean, there's just, exactly. you're good, your skills are your skills, and you know, that's why. That's what I tell my students once they, they some of them, not a lot, some, some people, they'll get very, the kid's very normal, for them to be very like attached to the belt, to the, belt, and the yeah. stripes, they're kids. But every now and then you get an adult that's like that, right? Like, oh man, when I'm gonna get my blue belt, I want to get my blue belt. I always tell them, I say, listen, the level, the skill level doesn't come with a belt, my friend. Yeah. The belt will reflect your skill level. Mm. So once you achieve the skill level, the belt will come. Don't worry about the belt, worry about getting the skill level. The belt is just a label. I'm just kind of like labeling you. Yeah. The same way if you have sugar and salt, <laughs> and they're both refined, you might want to label those things so you don't put salt in your tea. Yeah. Right? So you're going to label yeah. that a great for everybody to see. Yeah. It's the same thing with the belt. Like, oh, but what about the stripes? And I tell them, the stripes is to separate, again, sugar and salt. Yeah. I have two blue belts. If I'm not teaching, I know everybody in the gym, but sometimes I might need my class to be covered. And somebody who's going to cover that class for me need to know the different, the different levels that the, the, the class poses, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why I like to do the stripes. So anybody that will come and teach a class, they'll look at blue belt, two stripes, they'll know that that blue belt is more experienced. Not always, it doesn't always mean that he's better, but he's more experienced mm -hmm. than a blue belt who doesn't have any stripes. So he's more BJJ mature. He's been doing it longer. Yeah. Or he's been a blue belt for longer, at least. When did you start doing When I started jiu-jitsu, I started in uh, 2005. That was when I started jiu-jitsu. And I never heard of stripes until I moved to Singapore. Yeah. So maybe in 2011, 2012. When did you start doing that? Or the when stripes? did you Yeah, when did you see? Did you have them when you were training? Yes. We just got the belts. I never got the stripes until Yeah, it was it was very funny. So I I didn't start with Draculino, so I started a very small gym. That's who gave you your black belt? No, no, no. Who, Draculino, who? Draculino gave me the black belt. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I started in a very small gym. So I tell people all the time, I'm like, dude, I am not a natural for BJJ. I struggled to this thing. Like 
I'm just very stubborn. <laughs> and I never even thought about just BJJ. Dedicated, right? Yeah, I never even thought about BJJ as a career. Like I, I just I just loved it and I was like, all right, let's let's keep doing this. But my first professor, his rule for a stripe was like you go to a competition, you win a competition, you get a stripe. <laughs> it was that simple. That was simple. It was that simple. So we had like five competitions, major competitions in my city. Uh, at that time, right? Which is like five stages of one state championship. So you go in. No, actually, if you not if you win a competition. So that was even from the beginning that you did stripes, like when you yeah. started. Oh, okay. But it was a very funny thing. Like, if you get a third place, but you had two fights or more, you get a stripe. That was his. So it's purely competition based. Yeah, it's kind of his lazy way of doing it. Because right? <laughs> it's very easy to say, okay, you got a medal. How many fights? This many here. Uh -huh. Then actually follow your progress that's mm. what i'm looking for I'm, I'm seeing this progress there but yeah so it was like that until i got to my purple belt and then i left and went to draculino and draculino was like draculino striping is in brazil i'm sure that he does it differently in america but in brazil it was like you go the whole year not a stripe and then at the end of the year then he'll give you some, he'll give you the stripes more than one at a time, or would yeah, you just yeah, get yeah. one? If just he however many he wants. He'll want. go, ah, this guy's a blue belt, four stripe. Like, he's almost a purple. Here, yeah. four stripe. You, never, you, you don't have a single stripe in your purple belt? Four. And then all of a sudden, four. <laughs> and I remember when... So everybody's sweating. They're like, is it going to be one, zero? Am I going to get four? How's this going to go? Yeah, I remember uh, when I went to him. I only spent one year as a blue belt, and I got pushed to purple. And then I went to Draculino. It was my second year as a blue uh, After my second year as a purple, and then I got my ass kicked when I first got there, which is what made me sign up. <laughs> like the first, the first day I did class, I left, I was missing chunks of skin on my face. Wow. Cause I, you went from a small gym to like a big yeah. competitive gym, right? And I had like a killer lineup. Like I rode like the first day I went there, I rode with like Samuel Braga, Romulo Bajau, wow. Felipe Pena's older brother, Tio Chico, and all those guys just kicked my ass. And like you're a badly. blue or you're purple? I was a purple. Uh. Second year as a purple belt. And I was like, no, no. <laughs> it was my third year as a purple belt. I had just turned uh, the second year. How old were you then? Uh, 18? Uh. 18, 17, or something. So sorry, but how, when did you start training? Like, 13. when did you first start training? I was 13. 13, 1998. Uh. Yeah. From American context, that's old school. Yes. Like, it didn't even get to, jiu-jitsu didn't even get to America until, like, the mid-90s. Yeah, 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 so. yeah. Like, nobody in Brazil even knew what it was. Like, people would ask me, oh, do you, what do you train? Karate? And I'm like, no, jiu-jitsu. That's and why you was, didn't think there was a career in it, right? Yeah. Be same there was thing no money. Me. There was no jiu-jitsu where I grew up. Like, my first teacher was a blue belt, and he looked like a fucking wizard. <laughs> Like you saw this guy tap out people over and over and over again because he, he was a blue belt. Yeah, yeah. There was no black belt in like my whole state. So I the see, idea of it being a career was just like I see blue nonsense. belts nowadays. Like they, they go to competition. Like how much are they paying? And I'm like, I know. What are you know. talking about, <laughs> man? Know. They do I the did, same thing for amateur MMA. Yeah. they pay amateur MMA people yeah. in, in Singapore and Asia. And I'm like, what? When I fought MMA in Brazil for the first time, there wasn't even such a thing. My first fight in Only MMA pro? was a pro, pro really? fight. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I fought for 100 Singapore dollars. Pride mm. rules. Oh, damn. Soccer kicks? Can soccer soccer kick? kicks, stomping. Shit. No elbows, though. But oh, you can soccer right. kick somebody. I'd rather have the elbow. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I was like, what is this? Like, it was insane. But yeah, so 
it was like a, a, a very different scene back then. They would say, oh, what do you train? And I'd be like, jujitsu. Huh? What's that? And I'm like, kind of like judo. Oh, okay. Wasn't it quite... That's interesting that you say that, because I thought, like, jujitsu was, was in the media in Brazil since, like, the 50s and 60s, like, quite... So, you, But I guess not to the regular it was, people. It was in the media early on, in the 60s, 70s, mm. but... And then it died out. Like, it just went quiet. Oh, and so it the peaked, only, and then it yeah. went back down, and then it started coming back. Because the only thing you, you'd hear about jiu-jitsu in the media in Brazil is some guy that trains jiu-jitsu that went to a nightclub and beat up another five guys. <laughs> and then that yeah. always looks bad. Or those two, these three or five guys in the beach in Rio that got into it. And again, that was the school rivalry at that time. People, the school rivalry was so big that they would actually meet up and go at it. Dude, you got to tell me some of these stories because Italo and Marcelo told me some stories back in the day from them getting in, like, you know, they would have like five GF team people here getting in fights with these people. They, they would, they're like, these BJJ group would meet this BJJ group at a club or something and they would just end up in these like street brawl. He was crazy. So, so it's interesting, right? Because in Singapore, like, there's a pretty big open mat culture here, right? Yeah. Like, a lot of people go to a lot of different gyms, like, nobody's really that territorial. And I think it's even gotten better as the years have gone on. When I first moved to Singapore, you know, like evolved in, they wouldn't go train with other people. Some gyms wouldn't go train with other people. But then over time, it feels like the communities embraced traveling for open mats, hanging out with each other. Like I have students that train with me that have friends that are at other gyms and they come here for open mats and they go there and I don't give a shit, right? They do, yeah. they do what they want. And, uh, that seems to have gotten better here, but then I hear some of these stories about these like territory things insane. in Brazil. What, like, like in my city, the only really like legit gym that was present, it was Gracie Baja. So you had two factions of Gracie Baja. So you have Gracie Baja Draculino, but there was another Gracie Baja Caveirinha, and that was the biggest rivalry. Really? Within the same branch of Gracie Baja back in the day. Oh, how does that happen? It was, I don't even know how it started. Was there a split from the, so who, there, what was the common link? There must have been a common. So I believe, I, I'm not 100% sure, so don't, don't quote me on that. And Draconino, if you listen to this, I'm sorry. But I think that they are both from Rio, and then they're both under Master Carlos Gracie Jr. And Draculino decided to move to my city there was no jiu-jitsu there, like, really. Like, there's a few people here and there, but there was no legit jiu-jitsu. And that was like 30 years ago. So Draconino decided to go, and then later on, I believe that Caveirinha decided to move to the same city as well. Oh, so, like, that was so a, he stepped on his turf. Kind of, right? kind of, uh. yeah. And, uh, but then, like, we, we, had, like, we used to hate each other. Like, hate each other for no reason the I competitions didn't even know. must have been insane it was, we had to compete <laughs> internally just to go to a competition oh so you had to compete in the gym to get a spot yeah. to go to the competition yes like was as a purple belt featherweight so like under 70 there was like six of us and then Draculino's students would always also teach in different gyms and then everybody would compete under Gracie Barra Draculino so just at our place at Draculino headquarters, we had six of us. Mm. Then there was another three here, four there, five there. But you can only send two. So we would organize an in-house competition. 
dog it out and then whoever won whoever wins is the person who is team a mm. whoever loses is the second team player on team b everybody can still join but if you come across those guys in the competition you have to open up for them because mm. i mean they already kick your ass at the gym right? <laughs> yeah so why do you want them to do in public <laughs> that's how it, that's how it is in wrestling too because yeah. i grew up wrestling in the u.s and uh in american wrestling you have to wrestle for your spot like there's one position per weight class, mm -hmm. right? So it goes all the way up from whatever, 120 something, all the way up to heavyweight. Yeah. Every few pounds, there's a new spot. And if you want to wrestle at the competitions, the only way to do yeah. it is to win your spot. And I think it's good. I yeah, mean, me too. You, it's, a, it's, it's a different kind of training. Yes. Because you're actually training for competition. You're literally doing a mock competition. It's not guaranteed, exactly. right, that you're even gonna go. It's so. not the fun rolling, which I, to, <laughs> me, to me didn't make sense up until recently. I was like, what are you talking <laughs> about having like, fun at rolling? Like, yeah. I always have fun when I'm rolling. I just prefer to be delivering the ass kicking rather than receiving it. <laughs> That's so funny too, because I was the same way. I used to be so intense about rolling, right? But then after the years and years and years, I was like, okay, I need to chill the fuck out. Like, I can chill and like, you know, because also when you get the technique to a certain point, it's like, what am I going to do? Wreck my blue belts? Like, yeah. you know, you just, I chill, I go, I hit my moves. It's much more relaxed and controlled and experimental yeah, as yeah. opposed to when I was younger, when I was like playing my A game all the time, just trying to smash, just trying to always hit my, my best moves. You know what I mean? And yeah. But I think it's like that too. If you're competing with people in your gym that are that high level, you don't really, you can't really play your C and your D game. Yeah. Right. That's exactly. not the time to experiment. Because yeah, if you, no, no, if you no, no, do, no. you're going to get your back taken. Yep. You're going to get choked. You know what I mean? Yeah. But the, the, the rivalry in the competitions were insane. Like, I remember this one time I was in Salvador, Bahia, competing in like kind of Pan Ams. And there was this one guy, there was two, these two guys that are from Caveirinha. And I was from Draculino, right? And one of them was on my way division. And then he got knocked out like in the second round, third round, and I won my division. And then I went for the absolute, and the other guy was like one, one division above, above me. So he's a middleweight and I was lightweight at the, at the time. And I fought this guy, and it was like a tough fight, and it was a draw, and the ref, ref's decision, the ref gave it to him. I mean, mm. he won the fight. If, I, if, I, if I'm being honest, he won the fight. It's not like, oh, the ref gave it to him. If I was the ref, I would also give it to him. Mm. But during the whole fight, all I could hear was the other guy from Cavegnia. Just talk, talk, talk. I'm all you. Let's go, bro. Let's go, bro. <laughs> and the fight was over. And I just looked at this guy after the ref raised <laughs> the other guy's arm. I just looked at him and I was ready to be like, you come down here. I'll take you now. <laughs> and then I looked back and he goes, good job, bro. Good job. <laughs> then I had a torn meniscus. So I went back to my city, got my surgery done. And then we would have our Gracie Barra internal competition, which is for all Gracie Barras, right? And then my friend was organizing and he said, hey, are you going to fight? You just had surgery. And I was like, the tournament was going to be two weeks after I had my meniscus surgery. And I said, if, two weeks? Yeah. Wow. I said, if this guy, and I gave him the name, <laughs> I said, if he joins and if you are willing to match me up with him in the first round, put my name down. And then he goes, okay. And then a couple of days later, he messaged me. He said, hey, he just put his name in. I was like, all right, are you going to put me with him first round? He said, yes. I was like, okay, then I'll fight. <laughs> I must have trained like twice. And every time I trained, my knee would just blow up and yeah. I had to ice the rest of the day. 
And then when it was time to compete, I competed with the guy and it was like seven and a half minutes of like me just doing everything I could, not to submit him, but just to hurt. Just torture him. Just torture him. <laughs> and then uh, the last 30 seconds, I unbarred him and I won, right? And then the funny thing is, fast forward like two years, now we're all black belts. He leaves his gym, <laughs> he comes to train at Dracolino. Oh, so now your teammates. <laughs> yeah, we became very good friends. It's like that. I went yeah. to his wedding. <laughs> we travel yes. all over the country competing together. And he's like, bro, to this day, I don't know what the hell you did to me on that fight as a brown belt. My shoulder still hurts. <laughs> I was like, Dude, sorry, bro. I love how you were like, I will risk my knee. Just to fight this guy. Like, I will risk grievous bodily injury yeah, yeah, yeah. just I mean, to teach this guy a lesson. Because <laughs> yeah. he was talking shit during one of my matches. The thing is that he wasn't even talking shit. He was just supporting his friend. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's but you heard it, it you were like, all right. That's how crazy we, we, we were back then. That's, that's hilarious. Man. But yeah, I've, I've fought people before that are like idolized, and I thought, oh man, I'm never going to be able to beat this guy. And then I got to fight, and the guy's kind of a dick to me, and I'm like, all right, that's it. And then I'll beat the guy. <laughs> yeah. It just turns so personal very easily. Like, right? It must be so satisfying. Yeah, like there was this one guy I fought. I'm not going to say his name, but I can tell you off the air okay. who the guy is. All right, let's do it. But I don't want to say his name. But I just know that when I fought the guy, I, it was my first year as a black belt. It was actually my first competition in Brazil as a black belt. And I went for this tournament. And this guy is originally uh like uh, featherweight, so under 70. Mm. And this tournament was under 76, so lightweight. And the guy, nobody had passed his guard since he was a blue belt. And I'm here, like, I did nothing back then other than pass guard. You're <laughs> like, a top player. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, uh, yeah, I, I think I'm gonna pull guard on this one because I'm no hero. <laughs> if nobody has <laughs> this guy's guard since he was a blue belt, and he was like a black belt third degree at the time. Oh wow! I was like, this guy's been around as a yeah. black belt, and nobody ever passed his guard. I'm not gonna. It's not gonna be me. So I come in. I'm thinking I have my strategy. So your plan is to pull guard. Yeah. Because you're like, I'm not even gonna go there. Yes. And I'm thinking, but man, this guy's like an idol of mine. He's been around for so long. And then when I went to shake his hand. He just kind of like slapped my hand and backhand me on the chest really hard and walked back all hyper. And I was like, oh, that's the speed we're dancing. All right. <laughs> and then I was like, I just, he just went, I just saw red. And yeah. I said, okay, let's go. And then I, I, my plan was to jump guard and kind of stall him out a bit because if the guy's that good at guard, his yeah. top game cannot be that good. He spends so much time yeah, playing guard. So, right? so little on top. Like, yeah. you can't be that good on top. And, I do guess I did get swept every now and then, so I had I had a little bit more of guard playing time than he had mm. of top playing time. Yeah. So I was like, I like my my odds there. Mm. And then I it was the biggest like case of expectations versus reality. I right. thought I'm gonna jump close guard, I'm gonna stall him out, and then after five minutes or so I'll switch. Because just the stories yeah. got in your head, and so you yeah, I'm visualizing this. that. Yeah. Then I jump guard and I land in the shittiest of quarter guard situation, like oh, bar barely hanging on Mayday mode. I'm like yeah. Mayday, Mayday. <laughs> Houston, <laughs> we have a problem. <laughs> and I go, you know what? Screw technique. I grab the hold of that leg and I stood up, <laughs> just. Slam that guy down. down. I was like, okay, that's it, two zero. And then I just kind of like just stall him out on top. I said, okay, you're very good on the bottom, but not, I'm 
decent on top, and guess what? I don't have to pass your guard. You, you already have, have to sweep me. Yeah, you already have two points. Yeah, so, so I just kind of chill there, and then at some point we ran out of bounds, and I, I was like, yes, that's what I was looking for. Then I secured a, a legit close guard pool, and I was like, all right, that's it. My work here is done. <laughs> <laughs> My work here is done. Yeah, that's that's awesome, man. That, those are hilarious stories. We, I want to, Jake. Did, did she bring it in? Is it downloaded? I, she can give up on it. We need to put the password in. But it's it's finished downloading, right? Yeah. Okay, so let's take a break sure. because uh, I'll go to the bathroom. We can get another round of beers, and then we can turn the TV on and get the the switchers set up for the. Sounds good. So we can pull up some stuff on the TV. All right, let's do it. Okay, everybody, thank you for listening. We will be right back. And we're back with Professor Bruno Amarim. We've got our new technology rocking and rolling. Dude, you were just telling me this crazy story about you cutting weight. <laughs> Sorry to have to make you repeat it, but I just saw a picture of you at 66 kilos. Yeah. I can't fucking believe you ever made that weight. Yeah. How, how many MMA fights did you have? Uh, six. So you're, you're, that's decent. Yeah. I mean, that's a solid amount of yeah. MMA fights. And you fought at featherweight most of the time? No, I only had one at featherweight. <laughs> what was your? What, what were the other ones at? Lightweight. Oh, okay. Yeah. So why for that one? You were just like just to see if you could do it, or? Yeah, I mean, I had I had one at welterweight in the, in the U.S. because my opponent just pulled out at the last minute, and there was nobody else there but a welterweight guy who his opponent also pulled out. So I was like, ah, I'll fight that guy. I mean, I already did. I already did work, just like right? whatever, man. <laughs> Jake, can you pull up that? That picture, bro, I, I gotta see this this picture of Bruno. Look at that shit, dude. Oh my god, you look dead. Look at his cheekbones. Can you zoom in at all? Is it possible? I mean, look at your face. <laughs> you look like... Bad man walking. I, I can see your cheekbones just like sucked in like that. That's you at 66 kilos, man. I yeah, that was rough. That. What year was that? 2015? 2014? 2014. So how was that weight cut? Was it brutal uh, or was it actually like, okay, you managed to do it? How, how long did it take? 30 days. 30, so I literally went 29 days eating the same thing for... Chicken and veg. Yeah, right? breakfast. Mm. Breakfast, who am I kidding? <laughs> Lunch <laughs> and dinner. It was exactly the same thing. And it was crazy when I tell people, I said, I ate fried chicken every night. And I ate a chicken salad for lunch. And I had a granola bar before training in the morning, 9 a.m., for 29 days straight, and a gallon of water there. And exercising constantly, Just training, right? training, 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 training. That got me from 84 to 74 in 29 days, and then I lost the last 8 kilos in the last 24 hours. Just the water so weight. So it's just sauna, 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 then I went to uh, Beth, then we actually, we were in Beijing, so I lost three four kilos in beijing and then i still had four to, to lose and we drove from beijing to inner mongolia and then getting there the hotel didn't have a sauna so we had to go to the bathtub but i have low blood pressure so i go into hot water my tolerance is like five minutes and i start fainting oh wow when i'm healthy so when I'm half dead, <laughs> I, I, had, dead. I had to literally go in stay two three minutes come out and they would just wrap me out on the, on the comforter, on the, the, on the blankets, right? And then I would just be laying there like a burrito, sweating out. <laughs> like a burrito. So what you're saying is the wake up was really awesome. It was oh, yes. really fun, <laughs> really fun. fun. So I got down to 67 the night before, where you supposed to be the next morning. So I said, oh, 67? 
That's easy. So I'm used to cut weight for BJJ. You usually lose 700 grams a kilo on your sleep. Yeah. So I said, I got cocky, so I ordered pasta. Oh, bro. I, I ordered oh, bro. a spaghetti. Not and a when Coke. you've cut 20 fucking <laughs> kilos or whatever the hell it was in 30 yeah. days. I ordered a spaghetti and a Coke. Oh. And I was like, ah, oh, this is the best it must of have been my life. so good. Yeah. Oh, it would have been so good. <laughs> I go to sleep. I wake up next morning. I'm 67 and a half. And I'm like, Jesus, I still have one and a half kilos to lose. So back in the fire up the bathtub. Yeah. So we go back in. I'm sitting there as long as I can possibly take it. And then I get down to 66 and a half on my scale. So my experience with weigh-ins, weighing scales are usually a little bit lighter than yeah, the your know. scale. They, they know, know what's what they're up. doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I said, you know what? There's a tolerance. There's always one pound tolerance, right? There's yeah. always half a kilo tolerance. I'm good. This is not a title shot. I'm good to go. Mm. And then my corner man go, no, but we need to check. And I said, I'm not going back on the bathtub. Yeah. And they're like, but, but I said, dude, I want to see who in this world would be man enough to make me go back on that thumb. Yeah. The reality is anybody could just grab me by the E and throw me there. But in your dead. mind, you're like, I'll fight you now if yes. you put me in that fucking bathtub. So sure <laughs> enough, I got, I got into the way in, I was 66.3. My opponent was 69. So and he I looked bad. Yeah, you look pretty bad but i looked twice his size even that bad looking and i was like bro i don't know what you're gonna He's a thick, how you're gonna feel boy. tomorrow <laughs> yeah so you're telling me that this is the fight that you said you you leg kicked him to death yeah. basically right yeah so yeah you were telling me when we were on the break that you never really trained any leg kicks and you just found it in yeah. the fight takio told you to fight for the leg kick and yeah there was one day that the the my Muay Thai trainer was trying to get me to do leg kicks in the training. I said, dude, why am I doing this? I'm was not going to do this. You were training in Singapore? Yeah. Who, who, where were you training Muay Thai at? Uh, I was actually training with this guy from, he, he teaches at Tangling Community Center, okay. Alvin Young. Alvin Young. So yeah, he, he actually went with us to China and all. Mm. Very good coach, very good guy. So he, he got me one day doing leg kicks. I was like, why am I doing this? I'm not doing, I'm not trying to get my shin broken. I'm not doing that. And then as I'm walking out to fight, one of my corner men, Takeo, said, hey, let's throw one leg kick. Let's see how he does. And I threw one, and he didn't block. And I threw another one, and he didn't block. And 45 kicks later, he's shooting for double legs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. He's shooting double legs. 45 kicks later. Yeah, you say you finished him in like a, like a reverse crucifix yeah. like on his back, throwing shots and stuff, Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. How, did you, how long did the fight go? Uh, this was like maybe two minutes into the third round. So your cardio held up even after yeah, cutting fine. all that weight? Yeah, that's fine. Dude, that is great. I thought I cut a lot of weight. I mean, I cut from like 77, 78 to 66. And even yeah. still, that was pretty gnarly, but not from like 82. Yeah, I, I was cutting weight. When, did, when was this? 2006. No, not 16. 2018. I was in Jakarta. I was at the national team. And we all went to a tournament to the World Pro in Abu Dhabi, right? And I was, I, I registered, but I wasn't sure if I was going to, to actually compete because I wasn't, I didn't have any high, high level people to train in Indonesia. So I was just training with my blue belts, white belts. Mm -hmm. There was one black belt from there that I could train with, but he was lighter than me. And I was like, ah, am I going to compete? Let's put my name there. Then I put my name on the division under 69 with the gi. So I get there, I'm like 78 oh God. <laughs> without the gi. And I waited until maybe like, yeah, I waited until the day before the weigh-ins. And then I had a friend who lived there and he was always like asking me out to go out and drink and have fun and whatnot. So he called me out and said, hey, 
you want to go out tonight and eat something? And I said, okay, let me think about it. And my think about it was, let me step on the scale. If I think I can make the weight, I go to the sauna now. If I think I cannot make the weight, then I'll go out to have fun. <laughs> <laughs> One or the other. One or the other. Then I step on the scale and I was like 78 without the gi. And I was like, yeah, that's doable. <laughs> uh, that was doable? <laughs> I was going the other way. I was like, there's no way I would ever try to cut that if I go out that no, night. No, I went to the sauna and I had until the next day at 4 p.m. Not 4, 7 p.m. So I went, I went down, did the sauna, went from 78 to 74. Then the next day I went from 74 to 67, two kilos of the ghee, made the weight, hydrated the Man, IV. Man, you can, you can gain and lose pretty fast, hey? Yeah, a lot of water weight. Yeah. Like a, normal, a regular hour BJJ session, I'll probably lose two, two and a half kilos yeah. of water weight. I have a, there's a, a Russian kid that trains here called Vlad, and he's, he's one of those guys too. And he, he trains like three hours every single day. He does every class in the evening six days a week but every time he comes in he'll lose like five six sometimes like eight kilos that's crazy at night but i mean he leaves a fucking slug trail all yeah. over the drink like he's that guy like if you go anywhere near where he's standing on the mats you have a good chance of like tearing your acl or something oh, if you Jesus. you throw a kick just to slip but i you know fighters are weird like that because in some ways they're they're extremely disciplined but in other ways they're they're not because even when i went to i did my pro debut i fought in, in trinidad for a promotion called cuff and it was Caribbean Ultimate Fist Fighting, right? That was the name of the promotion. Mm -hmm. And I was living in St. Lucia at the time, which is like a small Caribbean island. And uh, so we just had to hop islands or whatever to go for these fights. And, uh, you know, kind of their marketing was that they are in Trinidad, which is this island, and they would bring in people from U.S. and other Caribbean islands, and they'd do uh, a fight card. And during the process of this, like, most people are coming in from overseas, so they would always have, they'd take the people out. So like one night before the weigh-in, they would always come and they would take all these people out. So I remember like all these people were cutting weight, dying. They go and they get hammered the night before the fights. So they're all the night be before good for you. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> it's like they're already cutting weight. Then they're like, "Fuck it, we're on an island. Let's go get hammered." So they go get drunk that night, and then they wake up the next day, and then everybody's at the gym doing the morning workout. You know, like these guys are over here, like the A team is over here, the red team or whatever, and the blue team is over here, and they split up the training. But then I just saw everybody was just like sweating, stinking. Like I walk in oh, and the room Jesus. smelled like booze. And we're supposed to fight the next day. So the weigh-ins are that morning, or sorry, that evening. And then we had to fight the next day. And I'm like, these guys have been disciplined and they've been training all this time. But then they see, oh, can have a little fun tonight. New island, let's go. They all got drunk, like partying the next day. I was like, Ugh, I don't know if that's the move, man. Stay disciplined for one more day. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't hurt, right? I mean, you can do it all. You can do all that the next day after, after the fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's literally what I did. I had this crazy fight in Kazakhstan, and that's literally what I did. I got there, I was 82, and I had to cut down to 70. And then being in Kazakhstan and all that, they changed the fight like three days before they changed to 72 instead of 70, which to me was like, eh, okay, two, last two kilos to cut. But yeah, that's all I did the whole week I was there. Just cut weight, make Hang the out, weight, relax, train. fight. Then after fighting, then you can go out, so have where some have you, fun. Where all have you fought? Because you already said Inner Mongolia, you fought in Kazakhstan. I assume you fought in Brazil, U.S. Yeah, I, fought, I had one in Brazil. I had two in Brazil, one in the U.S. And then I had one in Kazakhstan, one in Inner Mongolia, and one in Nanjing. Nice. So you got to travel yeah, with yeah. your fighting as well. Do you still like? Um, do you still do the the MMA stuff? Are you still yeah. working on your striking? You just. Nah. So I literally train Muay Thai one month at a time. 
Just when like, you fight. I got a fight. Oh, okay. 30 days before the fight, I start Man. doing Muay Thai. I know so many Immediately people. Immediately after the fight, I'm like, all right, back to BJJ. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dude, I know. Dude, that's the Brazilian move. A lot of Brazilians are like that. I know a bunch of them. Yeah, because I mean, let's be honest. I'm not gonna. I'm. I'm not gonna become any Adesanya. Like, I want that fight on the ground as fast as yeah. possible, and that's it. I, I I train Muay Thai enough to hopefully not get knocked out mm. in the first round. That's all I want to do. Because you're trying to get to the ground game, right? At some point, yeah. I'm what's, not gonna rush, but at some point I want to. What's your opinion on, so I want to get your opinion on two things. One is like, how, how highly do you prioritize takedowns in your training? Is this something, do you start most of your matches like on your knees, like for your students, or you, like do you guys start your rolls on the knees or on the feet? It all depends on how, how, how busy the class is. Yeah, that's And the reality is BJJ people are not very, suited to learn takedowns. I mean, I'm a black belt in judo as well. And one of my students the other day said purple belt. He said, oh, I want to, I wouldn't mind learning some judo. And I said, bro, you can't. <laughs> and he's like, why? I said, you just don't have the attention span that needs. Are you going to do 500 repetitions do of this? just the entries? Exactly. Fucking times Are you going to do 100, yeah. 500 Uchikom just then you maybe throw the guy on the ground 10 times? And he goes, oh no, fuck that. I was like, exactly. Yeah. So, but yeah, I'll do... Most of our sparring sessions, if it's not a competition class, I'll start on the knees. Competition class, sometimes we'll start on the knees, but then there's sometimes that it's only takedown. Yeah. It's takedowns only. Yeah. Sometimes I'll do five minutes sparring, and immediately after the five minutes sparring, everybody stands up, takedowns only, two minutes. So I call it like five and two, so we'll do like five minutes sparring, two minutes takedowns only. So then at least you force the person who pulls guard all the time to at least experience being standing out for a little bit yeah see I, I go the other way with it you're not allowed to pull guard in my class unless it's a competition okay that's the only time you're allowed because if you want to if, if you're a really good guard player in my gym then you can practice pulling guard when there's a competition because maybe that's the best spot for you mm -hmm. but everybody else that pulls class like most of the time it's just because they're fucking lazy yeah right so they don't want to do the work that's required to do a takedown so like okay you're a really good guard player in my class that's your strategy going into the competition fine we'll drill and we'll practice pulling guard the rest of the time i want them working on their takedowns just because the default is to pull guard just because they don't want to because it's easy yeah yeah in my yeah. case it's like i try to leave my students as free as possible to do whatever the hell they want so like most of my top students are guard players <laughs> most of them and i'm not a guard player at all your passer right yeah i prefer i prefer to, to be on top but like if you get my student who's teaching indonesian or in jakarta alison who was the the, the professor here at Gracie Baja, Singapore, when I was in Indonesia. He's a guard player, 100%. Audrey is a guard player, 100%. And those are like a black belt and a brown belt. And then you go through my other purple belts at the gym, that's one or the other that's gonna be a top player. Most of them like to play guard. So like I usually, whatever they want to do, I just kind of like help them to improve that. Yeah. But I do stress the fact that you need to try as much as you can to be well-rounded, right? Mm. So you need to work on everything. But it's like sometimes I see this, a white belt and a blue belt, and the white belt has been training for two months. The blue belt's been training for at least, my blue belt, at least two years. And I see that guy trying to take this white belt, this white belt down for like three minutes. And I'm like, dude, 
how much takedown do you know? Yeah. Then you got to be Very like, little. position, right? And I'm like, and why the hell are you not pulling gun on this guy? This guy doesn't know shit on the floor. Yeah. He's standing up, you both kind of know the same thing because you're lazy ass. You always pull gun. <laughs> pull gun on this guy and yeah. get, get the ball rolling, you know? So yeah, after after a certain point of stalemating, then I'll, I'll tell them, okay, pick a position. Yeah, you top, you top or after a certain point. Yeah, but it also depends on I think the you know every teacher and every every professor every coach has a lens that they view the training through, right? I mean, yeah. you're you're a BJJ competitor at your heart, I assume, yeah. right? I mean, you of course you've done the MMA and you've done the striking and all that kind of stuff too, but you're and correct me if I'm wrong, but you're like a gi jujitsu. That's how you would do you do you do a lot of no gi as well? Mostly gi, right? You Mostly gi because coming up in BJJ in Brazil, there's very little no gi competitions at yeah. the time. So basically, what we would do, the only competi- no gi competition we had in my state was like a Draculino organized competition. Mm-hmm. He would organize once a year a no gi competition, and that was that was non optional. So it's like ninety eight percent is gi competition. Yeah. So, so we all train with the gi, the gi, the gi. One month before the no gi competition, non optional. There was no gi training in the class in, in the gym it was yeah. all no gi there wasn't a single gi class for everybody's gonna train no gi for how long 30 days before the comp. one month before yeah the month. and everybody's gonna compete and Andrew Colino is always pissed because like you why don't you compete more in no gi I think you're better in no gi than you are in the gi you're like because there's I'm no... like, I don't fucking <laughs> like it <laughs> yeah. so that's that's what makes it interesting right because my first sport was wrestling that, that was mm-hmm. the first thing I ever did I found jiu-jitsu through well wrestling and mma that's how i learned what it was and uh so i i tend to view things through that lens and then like you know i'm an mma coach i would call my that's my martial arts is my highest priority right so mm-hmm. i do equal amount striking kicking takedowns wrestling jujitsu so we split the schedule right we do half the time no gi we do half the time and then all the striking gi we, we mix it up but i like the whole well-rounded thing and the the, the downside to that is like my students are going to struggle going into gi competition with people like you who are gi masters, but then the you, you have a well-rounded game. Like, so yeah. I always say this to my students, right? Like if I roll against the Brazilians, like world-class Brazilians in jiu-jitsu, gi, I'm going to get fucked up. If I spar with the Thais, like Muay Thai, I'm going to get boxed with the Americans, like all that kind of stuff. But if I can have a chance to put it all together, then at least in certain areas I can be competitive, right? Mm-hmm. And that's always the lens through which I view it, which is like a, an MMA type lens. And the, the, the downside is that you lack specialty. Yeah, the spe- the, the, being the specialist, Yes, right? exactly. Yeah, so in my case, what I do is, we do primarily gi, and I, do, I have a few no gi classes, but I do not allow anybody to do no gi only. I don't have no gi only people. What's oh, your take on like the new stuff, like the heel hook game, the sort of modern no gi style? Are you into those? Do you do heel hooks in your your no gi classes? No, yeah. I mean I teach them, but like I am all for it. Look, if it's legal in the competition, whatever competition you're gonna do, yeah. Let's say you compete for ADCC. If mm. it's legal, go for it. I'm not gonna see him like oh. Back in the days in Brazil, like if you go for footlock, you were seen as like you being lazy. Yeah. Oh, you don't know how to pass guard. That's why you go for footlock. <laughs> oh my, that's bullshit, man. Yeah. If it's legal, go for it. I have a. I do take an issue when people make it the game. Mm. Like all they're trying to do is footlocks. You don't see anybody who's successful doing that. Yeah, you have Gordon Ryan, great leg lock game. But make no mistake, he'll take your back and choke your oh, ass he's, out. He's got the best rear naked choke in the game. 
Craig Jones. Yeah. He'll take your back and choke you out. He'll yeah. triangle your ass. They're not one-trick ponies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So when I see this new generation, all they focus is like, leg lock, leg lock, leg lock, leg lock. It's a bit much to me because like, I do find that they're fairly easy to avoid. If you know the defense. Exactly. You know. I'm not going to sit here and pull like a, who was it, Vinny Magalhães. Oh, mm. leg locks don't work. Don't work. You get your leg destroyed <laughs> in that competition with Craig. Of course they work, but I do find that they are fairly easy to defend. Like mm. if, you, if you know the defense, not even defend. There's some of these guys that you got to run and start doing his ashigaramis on your legs. I'm mm. sorry. The, the, Chance of you escaping is very small, or a guy like Craig Jones, or even like Lachlan Giles, who's yeah. doing very well now. Chance of you escaping them is kind of difficult. I find that they're fairly easy to avoid. Yeah, you have to stay out of the position. You need to right? control. If you manage the distance well and you understand the danger, you can't take it for granted. If you understand the danger of them, of the leg locks, it's fairly easy to, to avoid being caught on them. Did you get to train with that uh, Robert Deagle guy when he when he came here? Did you get to roll with him at I all? I did, and I, my wrist was broken. Oh. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, he was damn good, yeah, man. Yeah. That's when I started to he see He came by like, the gym and, and, and rolled with some people. He mm -hmm. did a seminar there. Yeah, he did Baja. us here. But, well. like, I, I wish I had I, I had. would have been interesting. Yeah. It would have been interesting, especially if you did only no And, I mean, again, my view, my lens is always MMA. And you mm -hmm. rarely see, with the exception of like Ryan Hall, I mean, he, he, he'll hook BJ Penn with kind of that Lachlan Giles style, he'll hook. Yeah. But it's really rare that in a fist fight when you could, because you need the two hands to go to the heel exactly. and then you can start to punch and then you're and on your back. Penn, and BJ Penn kind of turned to the wrong side on yeah, that one as well. Yeah, I, didn't I think really, he, I didn't really understand that I think one. he took, took for granted. For granted, right? Yeah. yeah. And then he also, and Ryan Hall, Imanari rolled into it too. Yeah. Which I, I'm not sure that he was really expecting. Man, Ryan Hall is a weird dude. I fought him before in the gi. Oh, Thank, you did? Yeah. Thank God there was no lag locks or shit. But How'd like, the match go? The most boring fight of my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, he... he when was this? When was this? 2012 on Houston Open. Was he a black belt already? Yeah. Oh. Uh, so, yeah, so he pulled guard, went inverted, and I was like, nah, thank you. I don't want any part of your 50-50. So mm -hmm. I just kind of like sprawled out, and I stayed there. And he wouldn't come back to conventional guard. So, so he's just inverted the whole time? Yeah, the, the, the fight is YouTube. It's like it's a boring fight. <laughs> so it was, it was controversial in the end because at some point I lose my patient, of course, my patience. And I, I rush in, and he catches me in a triangle. And then on that triangle, I just hit. Jacqueline was calling for me to be patient the whole time. And then, of course, I lose it at some point. I was like, ah, I've had enough. I go in, he spins, and does a like, inverted guard to triangle transition. Mm -hmm. Catches me in a triangle, but he's he's much smaller. Mm -hmm. like, I don't know why he was fighting at a lightweight division. So I just kind of like pulled out of it, and I just heard Draculino say, Now, pass this motherfucker's guard. <laughs> I go, okay. <laughs> right through, I pass his guard. And then he's trying to, to go inverted still. It took literally 17 seconds of me like just grinding this guy chest to chest for the referee to actually give me the points for the pass. Mm. By the time he gives me the points, I'm exhausted. So I kind of like try to transition to something else. So both stand up. I'm like, okay, I'm going to pull guard on this guy. And then me, the black belt in judo, fighting against a guy who only pulls guard. I go to pull guard and he was soto guy the shit out of me. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I fall flat on my back. I'm like, oh, that, what so the you, fuck? the judo black belt, were like, oh, I'm going to pull guard. Yes. And then he was soto guard you. <laughs> Because you weren't expecting the Sotogari. No, I, was, I, was, I just didn't want him to pull guard again because oh. I was just too tired. I'm like, yeah. I don't want any part of that anymore. 
So he's Osotogar is me. I catch him in half guard, and then my friend is Neto Draculino coaching so me. So it's two goes, and two at that point, is no, it? No, three for me for passing, three, three for him. Three and two. Oh, okay. And then my friend is like, Habio, Habio, and then I, I looked at him and I'm expecting like, hold on, it's ten seconds, because I was so tired. And I look at him and he goes, just stay there. There's only one minute left. I'm like, Jesus, I don't have another minute here. <laughs> so I'm holding on for dear life. He's trying to do that half guard roll from the top. You roll to take somebody's back. Oh, yeah. Turn, turn. Yeah. yeah. So he's trying to do that. I'm like, dude, that's cute. You're so light. You're not going to roll me over. And then I'm just hanging on. I was like, oh, he can do that all day. Then the ref of my fight is here. The ref of the next mad fight is here. And that guy goes, Paro. So I stop, I thought it's my ref. He, I relax, at the same time he's flipping me. He flips me, takes my back. Oh shit. But he has his feet crossed. Yeah. And you don't get the points if you take somebody's back and keep your feet crossed. Yeah. So I'm trying to take the, open the escape, escape, we run out of time. So the ref gives him an advantage and I won. So the end of it was very exciting, but the first seven minutes of it, I was like, boring even i cannot bear to i like to read the, <laughs> i like to read the youtube comments yeah oh yeah like, oh right totally they totally dominated talk this guy <laughs> oh this biased brazilian ref. <laughs> that's I'm your like, first mistake is reading the youtube comments bro. I, no i love it <laughs> you I, love feel, it? Oh, I love it i'm like dude come on do i agree that it's a dumb rule that if you take somebody's back and your feet across you don't get the points yeah i agree i think i think if you take the back you should get the points but hey, that's the fucking rules. I mean, yeah. I don't make them. I just abide by them. But I mean, they make that because of that footlock, right? But it's the footlock, and it is considerably harder for you to actually escape a back control if the feet are crossed or if you have a body lock. Yeah, that's like, why it should be higher priority. I would. Think. I mean, the footlock is there, but you almost never see anybody actually get submitted with that footlock. It only seems white like belts. Huh? <laughs> only white belts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so then it's like it seems like actually crossing the feet, especially if you cross them like high in the crotch. Yeah. If you cross low, then it's easier to catch that footlock. But if you if you're high in the crotch, yeah. then even still, it's like almost impossible to actually footlock somebody from yeah. that. And it seems like to me that's just a closed wedge, right? If you cross exactly. the, if you close the feet, it's more difficult to escape. It's like I tell people, I say, look, the the tournaments have the rules, and you only have two choices. Take part or not take part. Yeah. You're not going to change the rules of a competition. You're not going to be able to negotiate with the referee then exactly. or the judge. They're yeah. not going <laughs> to like... I mean, if I don't like it, like people say, oh, how come you never compete like submission only? It's a big thing around here, right? People love to do the submission only. I'm like, dude, you're going to have to pay me some money if I'm going to go then fight somebody to the death. Like, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> what do you, not about that life. Do you have any other like, uh, you know, really interesting competition stories? Like any other guys that... You okay, we're gone? Mugong almost died just now. Oh my god. <laughs> can you put the camera on Mugong so we can all see his hair? Is there. Oh, we don't have the third. We don't have the third camera. Mugong, I tried. Uh, come here, real quick. Just jump in here. So we can see. Come on. Come on. I want to see your. You have Fabio hair right now. I already said it, so now you got to come. That's it. Get in here. Look at that. Give it a flick. Yes. <laughs> Beautiful. All right. Love having you back, Mugong. Anyway, uh, sorry for sorry for that. Like a lion, man. <laughs> exactly, it's beautiful. Do you have any other interesting stories? I mean, I didn't know you competed against Ryan Hall. Yeah. So I mean, you, who else? Do you have any other really good, interesting match stories of people of competition against someone? Yeah, that people I will mean, know? my my awards finals when uh, when I actually won the awards, I was a brown belt. So I fought JT Torres in the finals, 
and it was like he was almost like a he was the closest thing to a brown belt superstar at that time he had just one double gold europeans and he was just like it was just funny because i popped my knee on the very 10 seconds of the very first fight and i came out i'm like that's it i'm done i iced my knee and i said that and then they called my name and i was like ah screw this i'm going so i went in for the second fight but the funny thing is they always called me and jt at the same time to fight and we'd both go in to fight and i'm still like slapping and fist pumping and feeling my opponent out and i hear the crowd going crazy and i look over and jt submitted somebody i'm mm. like jesus christ and i go eight minutes and i win by points then we come out they, they give us a break we'll go back again so four fights down the road it's me and jt and i'm like oh boy now i have to fight this guy okay so i gave my friend a travel insurance card and i said here if, if i need it because there's no way in hell i'm tapping if that guy gets me in a toe hold he's gonna take my foot home because i'm not tapping so we go in and he pulls guard his open guard so i start going side to side going crazy i get a couple of advantage advantage and then he finally sucks me into close guard and he locks it that's it he body locks me from guard and i'm like standing up shaking him i'm not really shaking him i'm already winning i'm like i put my hand on his knee and i'm like I'm not really pushing. I'm like, bro, you're losing. You can yeah. hold that all you want. I don't yeah, care. Eventually, you got to do yeah. something. So that's pretty much how we went down. Mm. It was like, I was telling, I was telling James earlier, like, it's funny the day before, Draculino goes, we're eating acai, like, casually. And he goes, you know what? If you win this thing tomorrow, I'll give you a black belt. And I go, oh, okay. He told you straight up. Yeah. No pressure. And, yeah, exactly, exactly. And he goes, no, seriously, like, I think you're good enough to win this thing. You're just too stupid when you compete sometimes. <laughs> and he goes, uh... You're like, okay. Thanks, I guess. <laughs> so, yeah, so after I won, like, the, the belt, of course, is special to get your black belt and get your black belt from a legend like Draculino. But at that day, it was secondary. Because, like... You're focused on the competition, right? I had never won a gold medal in a BJJF. Mm. <laughs> I'm competing at BJJF for like... This was Abu Dhabi, right? Is this no, the, in the US. Oh, this was the IBJJF. IBJJF oh, Worlds. Okay. So like I'm competing at BJJF since 2005. So it's five years, four years of like non-stop competing at BJJF. And I never win anything. I won like a bronze medal in a reopen once. And then I go to the Worlds and I get a gold medal. I was like, uh, okay. And then got everything it. just came at the at the right time. At the right, right time, yeah. Yeah, I remember I remember Jake telling me a story. Mackenzie, Jake Mackenzie told me a story about that motherfucker beat me in the Pan Am. Yeah, that's what that's what that's what the story, <laughs> I didn't I didn't want to say it. So he I was, was like, the oh. only one to beat me. <laughs> I was like, what the hell was that? Like, but he's just such a nice guy. Hey, I know you can't. That's the thing. I about usually Jake, hate right? people that beat me. And I, I keep a grudge because like I feel off he's of it. He's Canadian, dude. Yeah, he's so impossible. fucking yeah, nice. It, like. I helped him to, he was doing a seminar in Tokyo in 2018. So I was there with the Indonesian national team. So I was assisting him to do the, to do the, the seminar. So I was like being the dummy. And uh, he was teaching in English. And I said, dude, it's such a bizarre thing to hear you speak in English. Yeah, because you're used to only seeing him speak Portuguese, Almost Portuguese, right? and it's like, he's a very real Portuguese. Cause he, I mean, he did the full thing. He moved to Brazil, yeah. married a Brazilian, yep. like spends all of his time in in Brazil or traveling up yep. to that point. Like he fully, he went, he embraced at, it. Yeah, yeah. There's no gringo shit with him. I mean, he went in, yep. 
married a local, like did the whole thing. Definitely. I, I mean, mean, I live in Singapore. My wife speaks Chinese. I'm not learning the language. Like, yeah, you know? that's cool. <laughs> you know? I tried at first because I mean, I learned English on my own. I said, mm-hmm. oh, I can do that with Chinese. Your English is really good, man. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I, I, I learn watching movies. Really, that's it. Yeah. I mean, I'm actually surprised. I mean, of course, I've seen you talk at competitions and I've seen you around and stuff, but like. We we've had a long like we've been talking for an hour and a half now and like really specific like yeah I mean the OCD language helps really good the OCD helps. <laughs> so like every time I, I I if I say a word wrongly I can't just I cannot just keep going I have to come back and like fix that but like but your vocabulary is good your accent's good like I read a lot of books mm. and it got to a point that uh, I had to re- learn English I, was it a day I was starved so I was like okay yeah. I guess I'm gonna learn this. And then Audrey, she has a background in journalism, so she has like excellent English. Mm. So she she corrects me a lot. Like every time I say a word that's wrong, like it, there was this one Instagram live that I kept saying like, I always like to, how did I say? Was it impart? No, I don't remember the word. Mm. Yeah, impair. I kept saying impair. Impair. Yeah, and it impart on somebody, oh, right? Oh, okay. And then after that, she told me, and I'm like, couldn't you have messaged me there like the first time I said it? Like, Jesus. And then you're like, 100 arm bars, go. Yeah. Like, you correct me, then I correct you, huh? Yeah, but like, it, it, it's something like, I thought I could do it Chinese, but then it, it got too complicated. It's tough, right? With, it got the, too with the tones. And, and the, 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 the Chinese from people from China, they're more lenient. Singaporean Chinese, they are ruthless. Is it? Like, if you don't say the word exactly the way they expect... I, I've been with Audrey for, what, 2015? Five years. I still cannot say her Chinese name, apparently. <laughs> apparently. <laughs> I, I can't say it. Yeah. Every time I say it, she's like, wrong. I don't even wrong. try. My nickname for my wife is Ching Chong, so I, I, I've, got, I've got no leg to stand on here. Luckily, she, she, she actually has a, an English name as well. So I gave up on, I, I said, no, Chinese. Charmaine's is easy, right? My wife's name is Charmaine, but her nickname, or her, God, her Chinese name is Ximin. So Charmaine, Ximin, it's like, they okay. just took the English version and they're like, okay, that's her name now. Okay, yeah, Audrey so actually easy. is, her first name is actually Audrey, so mm. like that's easy enough for me. Yeah. Well, this was interesting, man. I, I really enjoyed sitting here and chatting with you. Yeah, man, it was fun. I can't believe it's been 90 minutes already. At, at least. What's, what's the time? Yeah, you're going... I see a red light there, which is, which is why I'm concerned, because I see a, a red light flashing there. But anyway, yeah, man, this was great, right? Yeah, yeah, it was fun. Bro, you're welcome back anytime. This anytime, was, man. This Let's was know. an excellent podcast. I enjoy shooting the shit with you. We didn't even really get to talk too much about like the lineages and stuff, and I'm quite interested, because you know, Nick gave me my black belt. Nick yeah. Gregoritis gave me my black belt. And then, you know, Hodger gave him his, so we have a joint lineage. And yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm really fascinated about all this stuff, especially when it goes back to Brazil, because I don't, yeah, you know man, I, mean? I mean, I don't know a lot Ho- about it. Hodger's great. I mean, I trained with him once. People always ask me, did you train with Hodger? And I was like, yeah, I trained with him once. And they're like, is he strong? And I said, I hope if I know, because I didn't use any strength with him, because... What if he decides to use on me? He'll break me <laughs> yeah, half. Yeah. You don't want to like, go down that road, It's like right? two days before I compete at the Worlds. It's the biggest tournament of my life. I'm not going to use straight with Hodger Gracie. Let's yeah. be honest here. Like, not I don't move. have anything. Yeah. So, but he's the nicest guy. Yeah, he's so nice. Did you ever, you ever meet Nick? No, I never mean, met Nick's him. a fucking gorilla too, man. I mean, he's a big oh, dude. Wow. Yeah, big, never met Big, strong never guy. Yeah, but anyway, it's interesting. I'll have you back if you want sure. sometime. We'll yeah. chat. You live nearby. I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah, just and then I, uh, I could literally walk over. Beautiful. <laughs> Next time we'll be more prepared. No worries for the no listeners. We we just figured out this switcher. There's a whole long process for getting this 
this shit worked out. I'll put out a picture on the Instagram so you can see this insane setup that Wugong and Jacob. Oh, but it was worth it. Done. I mean, you got to show my half, it was all, dude, half dead photo. That was that was the only thing we got. Is you like mangled and dead with your six pack on the on the weights? We, on we can scale. literally set, show any image in the world we like, and that's the one we went for. That's the one exactly. we went for. It was all for, it was all for that, bro. So it was worth hopefully it. we make that that famous that picture of you famous where you're just dying on the scale. That's, that'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> all right, everybody. Bruno, I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thank you, you man. Thanks for having me. Bruno Amarim. Check out Gracie Baja Singapore. This is a Stronghold podcast. Thank you, Jake. Thank you, Wugong. Okay, we're out. See you. Mm-hmm.